it's all nice and good to talk about spiritual concepts, but if you don't get real about them, are they really worth anything? The real question we have to ask ourselves is, how can we take our spirituality and bring it down into real time, into real life? And what does that have to do with the mission statement of our very existence? Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Welcome to Consciously. This is Menachem Poznanski. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us and thank my uh, buddy Shmaya Hanukman for joining me again here. Uh, I'll remind you quickly before we get started, uh, if you could take a minute to subscribe and give us a five-star review on uh, anywhere you get your podcast, that's really useful. also want to remind you about our social media pages, The Light Revealed and Consciously62 on Facebook and Instagram. Check us out over there. Uh, trying to put out some good content and obviously Consciously Six Steps to Living Vibrantly with Our Creator, new book out by Mosaica Publishers, written by me, and you can find it in Jewish bookstores and in the links that I've posted in the episodes. Uh, lastly, Shmaya asked me to remind you that we love questions. We love when listeners have reached out. Actually, some have reached out uh, through WhatsApp and stuff, but definitely and specifically related to the content that Shmaya and I are doing to reach out on The Light Revealed. Uh, message us there. And also you can email us at consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com. So look at us over there. And finally, you can find our podcast on the Intentional Jew Podcasting Network website, intentionaljew.com. So here we are, we're at part six of a series of episodes where Shmaya, and this was his idea, I say that because I'm embarrassed how egotistically I am enjoying this, but he he came up with the idea of perhaps interviewing me for this podcast about uh, the book consciously and about, we've talked about some of the process that led to me writing the book, but we really jumped into the content uh, with both feet over the last few weeks and we're just closing out step one. And uh, we're going to jump into the practical program of action, the action plan that it lays out that uh, is mostly pulled from Bavavi Mishkanevna, but a couple other exercises that I picked up from other places. But here, this comes from what we're going to talk about today is directly comes from Bavavi Mishkanevna and it's gold. It's really gold and it's really simple. It's not complicated and it doesn't require a lot of time. And I have found it makes a huge, huge difference. So with that, I'm going to turn over the mic, so to speak, to Shmaya. Hey, 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 hey. Um, so here we are and we have finished all of the reading material that we have to do for the first step. Mm-hmm. Right before we jump into the chapter that talks about um, how to actually practice the first step. You do a little um, recap. Synopsis. Synopsis yeah. of what we did in the first few chapters. And, you know, ultimately it comes down to knowing our purpose so we don't get lost. Not our in- individual purpose, our fundamental purpose. Our fundamental purpose is conscious contact. Right. And Can I just say I'm very proud of that part of the book, that each step... Each step has multiple chapters, some more than others, but each step ends with a, a really nice synopsis of the ideas, and and each step ends with a chapter or two of practical actions that you can take to kind of put into place the concepts that we've been talking about. And um, it kind of like emerged that way, but I, I'm really, I think it's really great. I think it's really, really good. No, I thought you did a phenomenal job with it. In fact, you... you well, yeah. You put- could get some of the credit for that, too. What? Mosaica, Daron, um, Rabbi Daron Kornbluth, the the team there. Oh, really? That just kind of emerged. 
some of it was stuff that I'd been writing, but they were like, you know, it'd be really good if you could do this for every chapter, you know, or it was really be good if we could separate it. And so some of it was a collaborative process of figuring out, which is what happens when you write a book. It's not, you know, the content is there, but then like the layout, you know, like my first book, <clears throat> my book with Aria Books Five, have Stepping Out of the Abyss, we, we changed the entire order of the book, like at a very late stage. And it's like a million times better than it was. It's just like, it didn't flow the way we needed it to. And then we just kind of switched, you know, a number of different things. Well, I, I mean, I think this is brilliant. And you, you actually mark it differently by the, the page colors different. Right. Right. We right. highlight it. Yeah. You highlight it in a way where, you know, it's the synopsis. And that was a phenomenal job. And I really enjoyed reading that. And I have no questions on the synopsis because all of that was covered in the previous chapters, and I think that it's a beautiful thing that you guys did it this way, specifically because if our listeners are going through it the way we are going through it, going through it one day at a time or one week at a time, each chapter separately, then right before you jump into the actual work of it all, you right. get to like do a little quote, a little review of everything that we learned, and I and I thought that that was phenomenal. Right. So now here we are at the actual part of the book where we talk about jumping into action and actually writing this down. And what you go through over here and what you express in your writing is that the way to make this real and vibrant is to put it on paper. Right. That if someone told us they would give us the, you know, success, the keys to their success. Well, the analogy would be if you got like 15 minutes with, um, what's that guy's name? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. If you got 15 minutes with Warren Buffett and you said, Warren, I, I need I need simple advice. You know, where should I put $10,000? for in 20 years from now and he gave you very specific instructions you'd you'd write those down right yes you wouldn't want to forget anything that he said correct right because that's each detail would be critically important and one of the reasons you write it down and we talk about this one of the reasons you write it down is because you want to have it for later but the other reason is oftentimes when you write something down it kind of changes the way that your brain processes the information and kind of it writes it into your brain so to speak so one of the things that you go on to talk about is that we're going to want to be able to read what we're going to write down at various points throughout the day. Yeah. We're going to want to have a quick and easy access. Is there a reason we want to be able to read it multiple times a day? I noticed that later on you say, if we're developing a real relationship, we want one that will be there when we need it most and one we can show up for when times are toughest. Right. So why not just read it when we need it most? Right. Okay. So we're going to get into this more as the book goes on uh, more explicitly. But the entirety of the book, even here, its foundation is this idea that developing a conscious awareness of something in a way that shifts your attitude and perspective on life in a way that's more total or complete requires two things. It requires ongoing reminders, which bring your consciousness back to an idea for for many of the reasons that we already discussed, um, which is that the world's confusing and we, we're oriented towards a place where we are constantly uh, thinking about the trees instead of thinking about the forest. But in addition, just in terms of like learning, repetition is incredibly important for learning. You know, I remember like when I was working at one point with a, with a personal trainer, you know, we were making these like very, very silly, what seemed like very, very silly movements um, again and again and again without any weights. It was like incredibly frustrating. I'm going to do this again and again and again. And I, it didn't seem like I was accomplishing it. I wasn't breaking the sweat. I wasn't building any muscle because we weren't using any weights. I was just like moving my hand back and forth, you know, and, and he pointed out to me, which for a variety of reasons, he was teaching me movements so that I wouldn't hurt myself later on, particularly because of back issues that I have, et cetera. 
And he said, if we repeat those movements without weights, your brain will learn the way those movements are supposed to go. And then when you have to make those movements with weight, it'll be natural and easy. So the the point of the repetition is to, to create reps, right? Reps in our brains, which kind of train our brains to think in an oriented sort of way. If we wait until times are tough to kind of rely on those things, it's not natural to us. Mm. It's not, it's not really available. I could take the piece of paper out, but it doesn't mean anything. It's just a piece of paper. But if I have a piece of paper, take time to write out whatever my current conception of the underlying fundamental purpose of my life is that mantra. And then I practice drawing my mindset back to that. When I need to draw my mindset back to that, when things are tough, it becomes very, very natural. And it's very easy when there's more weight, right? When there's more weight, it's more natural for the body or for the mind to fall back on leaning on unhealthy patterns or relying upon dysfunctional strengths so, or strengths in dysfunctional places. So what I'm hearing you say is that our brain is a muscle and we want to create muscle memory. Yes. Very interesting. It's a, and, and just like, I guess, just like if all of a sudden, you know, someone said to me out of the blue, Shmaya, I need your help to lift this 300 pound rock. Well, I'm not going to be able to do that. But if every single day, you know, for a year, I'm practicing and preparing myself for the struggle of lifting that 300 pound rock, maybe I'll be able to do it. Right. 300 pounds is a lot. I should have gone with a small number, but whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Um, in that same sentence that I just read, I noticed a very unique thing that you did. And I'm interested if you did it purposefully um, or if it just happened to flow that way when you wrote it. If we were developing a real relationship, we want one, and that's a real relationship with a creator. Right. We want one that will be there when we need it most and when we can show up to, we can show up for, and when we can show up for when times are toughest. Right. So on one side, we're saying we want one that will be there for us. Right. And then we also want one that we can show up for when times are toughest. Right. That that the onus is on us. Right. So that that's a reflection of what we were talking about the other day with Viktor Frankl, which is that when we encounter challenges, those are ways in which the universe is asking of us or challenging us or demanding of us to face something. And when we look at it in that context, it, it gives us a different relationship. Part of it also is like, it's very easy to slip into a place where you start to look at your relationship with God as if it's like God's an ATM machine, you know, or right. he's there for, to give me things, you know, and that can be incredibly dysfunctional and also very superstitious and very unspiritual. It doesn't leave a person in a place where they feel like they're vibrantly, they have a, a, a close, intimate, passionate relationship with God. God's just the most powerful being in the, in the world. So I, the most convenient to get things from, or it's seemingly the most convenient to get things from. And then my relationship with God becomes, you know, how can I get him to do what I want to do or give me what I want to get? And, and that I found to be incredibly unfulfilling. So, when we shift our mindset to like, okay, so how can I show up for everything that's going on in my life and related specifically to what we've been talking about, if I can keep in mind the fundamental purpose of my life, then it makes it much easier for me to show up for challenging times because I know that it's, it's not really about this particular tree. It's about the, the whole journey. And, and I just want to make the distinction that when you use the word show up for, when you use those words, you don't mean it in the sense of if I shake the lulav hard enough, 
then I'll be able to get through the struggle in my life. If I get the nicest at Rogue, then I'll be able to get through the struggles in my life. You mean show up for in the sense of being able to practice, I am right where I need to be and this has meaning in this moment. Right. Well, yes, it's much more... um... Because there are many people who are reading this who are like, what are you talking about? I do things for God every single day. I put on my phylactery, I put on my tefillin, I I daven, I do all these things. Why is that not enough? Right. Right. So the question is, why are you doing those things for God? And and that that's a totally other a conversation about why we do things that God asks of us and whether we look at those things as things we're doing for God or opportunities we have to participate in the abundance of meaningfulness that he provides for us by fulfilling mitzvahs, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Nothing to do with it at all. We've been talking about that the whole time. This has to do, like you said, with the degree to which I can practice something like acceptance in a very, very deep and meaningful way, like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it's talking about, right? Or whatever it is I'm struggling with is not some kind of challenge I shouldn't have and I need to get past so I can get busy with what's really important in life. And instead, uh, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be dealing with. And if I show up for this, you know, in the same way that Viktor Frankl, you know, was sitting in concentration camp and he thought to himself, you know, this is a really unique opportunity here. I am one of the most celebrated, educated psychotherapists on the planet. I mean, he wasn't like one of, but he was a student of Freud. He was definitely of the most educated people. And here I have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be in a concentration camp and then to bring this knowledge and insight back to my colleagues. And that's how Man's Search for Meaning started, even though it went beyond that. But that's how it started. He envisioned himself in a, in a lecture hall talking about his experience as a survivor. And that changed his whole experience of being in the concentration camp. It allowed him to be an observer and it allowed him to find meaningfulness in everything he was doing. And then it taught him further and further about life and verified many of the things that he thought and gave him the courage to uh, go against a lot of the prevailing attitudes that were existent within the world of psychotherapy, which, which were really like very, very averse to spiritual ideas right. or God. Right. And and Frankel, I mean, Jung also, but Jung less. Frankel was very, very centered on this idea of meaning and the correlation between psychological healing and spiritual healing and religious activity. And that's a tremendous gift to all of humanity. And that's that's gone on from Frankel. But that impact was tremendous, which is reflected in the fact that Man's Search for Meaning was voted as one of the 10 most influential books in the, of the 20th century by the U.S. Congress. So right. that, that, that all emerged from that moment of that dirty Jew in the concentration camp who stunk, who probably hadn't had a shower in a long time, you know, who in that culture, in that world had zero value, and yet he realized that there was unique and precious value present for him. If you don't have a sense of the broader meaning of life... You're going to lose out on that perspective. Right. You have no way of connecting with that. Right, because you'll just be in a position where, you know, whatever, as soon as the IRS stops chasing me down and I pay back all of my debt to the IRS for tax season, then I could continue on with my life. Right. Or whatever your current struggle is. Right. I keep using these really extreme examples today. It's funny. (laughs) It's funny. So now we get to get into the actual practice. Yeah. Right. And you say we can begin by taking a small piece of paper and writing on it the primary spiritual purpose of our life. Perhaps start with the words of the psalmist. For me, closeness to God, that is good. 
or identifying quick and simple terms the way in which your current conviction describes the primary spiritual purpose. Right. So uh, my intention is right now I have my consciously notebook, consciously the notebook, which are notebooks that we've made um, that you and I do in the morning right. um, and in the evening as a part of our spiritual work. And we actually have a whole episode just about the, this notebook that we've done in the past. Um, and in the notebook, we have an area that says suggested three minute reflection. Right. So my intention is is that I'm going to write over there my primary spiritual purpose is conscious contact. Okay. And that is that is sufficient? Well, everything is sufficient, whatever you want. Okay, go okay, on. Okay, so, so the question is, where? how are you... That's the first thing. The first thing is to take a few moments to think about your what your mantra is, what your mission statement is for your life. Now, when I started out doing this, practicing this. I, I've had a, I was telling Shemaya before, I've had a shift, like a total and complete shift having to do with doing this as well as another group that I'm kind of participating in that's not being recorded of people that were just kind of going through the material uh, together. And I've had a totally new epiphany about how to do this. It, it's not, not in line with what I was talking about, but it more meets the intention that I had the whole time, I'll say. So the, the objective here is to take a few moments to really ask yourself, what is my current awareness of my fundamental mission, my fundamental spiritual mission, my, my primary spiritual purpose? Or what's my awareness of it? How can I utilize words that are within my frame? Now, you simply could use the word, for me, closeness to God, that is good, with the intention of the Ramchal, everything else that's good is really only a a pathway towards godliness. You could use something like, my primary purpose is conscious contact. And and that's fine. It doesn't have to mean anything to anyone else. It just doesn't mean something to you. But if you leave it to only kind of a very simplistic expression, and then you repeat that same expression on a day-to-day basis, you're not really actually engaging your mind. That's one part. So one part is to encourage the listener or the reader to really take time to write out something that meets their active conviction about their lives, maybe more personal, you know, maybe in how it relates to whatever's going on. And I'm going to give you two examples the last two days that I've been doing. Uh, And then the other thing is, how are you going to develop an action plan for drawing your mindfulness back to that mantra on that given day? And what I used to do is I used to do this like maybe once a week or even once a month. And then I would set it up in my phone as a reminder throughout the day, every hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it was, depending on the day, depending on whatever was going on. So I'd sit in the morning and kind of think deeply, okay, what's my primary purpose? What's my missionhood? Where am I at? If, if I'm working on step one, because there's other steps later on, there's other work that you do in other steps. But when I'm working through this, so, you know, sit down and do that and then write that down. And the point of writing it down again is to kind of clarify it and to bring awareness to it. Um, and also so you can go back to it later. So what I would do is I put it in my phone and then I get a reminder every hour on my phone, but I do that for a week or for a month. And the, the first couple of days it was meaningful, but yeah. then after that it was like very, very not meaningful. Right. So what I've been doing more recently, and this took me time to get to. So if like, if what you're ready to do is just write down my primary purpose is conscious contact or my Vani Kirvas Lukim Lito for me closest to God is good or some other passage, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samed, God is all, God's presence is always with me. I mean, whatever it is that kind of means something to you. And then to repeat that, um, that mantra, find a way to repeat that mantra, 
you know, rip off that piece of paper and put in your pocket so that every time you stick your hand in your pocket, you're, you're, you're reminded of it or carry your consciously book with you and pull it out. Those are all meaningful things. But one of the things that I've been doing more recently is I write a new one every day because every day my consciousness kind of shifts. And I also challenge myself kind of creatively to express the same point, but in a different way on any given day. And then what I do is what I've been doing is I then set up reminders through the day on my phone every hour, two hours, depending on how busy the day is going to be, that remind me of it. It pops up on my phone and then I exit out and an hour later I'm reminded of it again. And I just try to read through it when it pops up. I don't get to it every hour. Sometimes I get to it two times a day, sometimes three, sometimes four, sometimes five, and that's fine. I don't think that's a problem. And it draws my mindset back to that and it allows that muscle memory to kind of be engaged on on an ongoing basis. So for example, yesterday's mantra was the relationship is the fundamental key experiencing it, expressing it, honoring it. Everything else is an aspect of that. Mm. That was the mantra yesterday. And it doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. It makes sense to me. Amazing. Right. Okay. Today's was, remember that the Or Makif of life, right? Or Makif is a Chabad, is a Kabbalistic Hasidic term. It's a term that's very common in Chabad Hasidus. Or Makif means the surrounding energy, right? The energy of God that surrounds all things. The Ormakov of life, the right, the overriding principle of life. Um, remember the Ormakov of life. Everything is a vibrant relationship with your creator, right? Which is the idea that I was drawing myself back to today, which was that everything I do is engaging the creator. Talking to you is engaging the creator. Sitting here, having lunch with my daughter in a, in a few minutes is, is, is an aspect of my relationship with the creator because my creator is present in all those things to the degree that I acknowledge that. And that gives each of those things meaning, right? So that's, that's today's mantra. Right. So if I do that and you don't have to do it daily, I'm not challenging anyone to do that. But if you really jump into this stuff in a really, really rich way, that's personal to you, that relates to whatever's going on in your life. You know, if the IRS is after you and it's like, but then it's about that. And if, you know, if you're going on a date tonight with your wife and that's what your mind's at and you're trying to plan that, if you're buying Hanukkah presents, if Hanukkah's on your mind, then, then let Hanukkah be on your mind. That's where the Ormakif thing came from. Right. So Whatever's on your mind, let it be expressed in your relationship, in your God. mission statement, in your mission statement. Like, what is it my life about? Right now, it doesn't have to be, you know, blow your mind stuff every day. But the more effort you put into that, without o- over perfectionizing it, right? So you don't want it to take more than two or three minutes. Oh, so wait a second. What I'm hearing you say now is that I also have an opportunity where I can write down God is with me while getting dinner with my friends and family. Right. Right, let's say like, I don't know, let's say it was Thanksgiving, right? And you right. know that you're going to go to this dinner and the whole day is about dinner. Right. Right. I want to be reminded that Thanksgiving is a time when I get to connect with gratitude and the abundance that God gives me. And that's the ultimate reason why I'm going to this dinner. And I want to keep that in my mindset today. And it can also be as simple as, like we said before, one of those simple mantras that uh, conscious contact is my primary purpose, Kirisal Kimli Tov. Right. But if you bring it into whatever you're going through, and that, and I'm happy you said that because that's less... Uh, heady than when I was writing, but, uh, and it's more real, it's more practical. Right. Right. So that's much, much more meaningful. And that's actually going to like build much better muscle memory. Right. You know, so here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to sit and I'm going to take a minute and write in my consciously notebook where we have suggested three minute reflection. I'm going to use that time now in the morning when I do this Okay. as an opportunity to write out my mission statement. So my morning now is going to be able to look like I put down some blessings, I write my aspirations, and then I'm going to be able to write down, I'm going to do a three-minute reflection, put out down my mission statement for the day. Right. 
And as far as today's go, you know, it's already halfway through the day. I'm going to write uh, conscious contact as my primary purpose. But I'm actually going to try your way of doing it, which is very good. And maybe some days I won't have the time to do the full creative um, and more meaningful version of it. And I'll go back to my mantra of conscious contact as my primary purpose. Right, right. And then it's like about do you set aside the time to draw your mindset back to it? Right. Right, because if you're not doing both of those things, as we're going to talk about later on in the book, why it works that way from a Kabbalistic vantage point, but even like just from a basic awareness of neurology, it makes all the sense in the world. Right, you're like triggering your brain's ability to kind of think deeply, which is what your brain does, and then you're kind of building neuro neurological pathways that make it easier to kind of fall into that space. Fantastic. Okay, I think that's it. All right, thanks so much, Maya. Amazing. Thanks for listening to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of The Living Room, which is a division of Our Place New York, and made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, in memory of Tsipora Basravaron. The host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky, and our trusted assistant to the regional co-host, Shmaya Hanekman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback and questions. So please feel free to email us at consciously62 at gmail.com or on our Instagram and Facebook pages. 